his invitations and uh, descriptions of what people look like when uh, the Holy Spirit is at work within them and, and uh, they are living in line with the kingdom of God and the reality of the gospel. And uh, tonight we're coming to the, uh, the, the, uh, the beatitude regarding a purity in heart. Uh, one of uh, my uh, commentators, Frederick Dale Bruner, um, he says that it's, it's surprising to see what Jesus blesses, uh, particularly in the context of Jesus' day. Uh, Bruner writes, the rabbis of Jesus' time blessed certain acts, activities, especially, especially the reading of the Torah, the law, uh, and then faithfulness in observing it most visibly on the Sabbath and particularly in all sorts of carefully prescribed good works. <clears throat> That's what the rabbis would bless, and they would teach that these are the things that God blesses. But, uh, Brunner writes, in all the Beatitudes, remarkably, it is difficult to put one's finger on a specific activity that is blessed, like scripture study or social work or, or kneeling in prayer even. In the Beatitudes, Jesus blesses people at the center where they live. He does not bless persons at their hands so much as he blesses them at their heart. And that is true. If you look at the characteristics being described, these are not activities. Uh, these are qualities and things that flow out of our heart. Well, tonight we're going to be looking at, then blessed are the pure in heart. And uh, we're going to look first of all at the nature of a pure heart. And then the creation of a pure heart, how does it happen? And then the reward, the blessings that Jesus promises to a pure heart. Well, let's begin then the nature of a pure heart. What does it mean to have a pure heart? Uh, I think um, if you would survey the common Christian, they would probably make some reference to having a heart that is sexually pure. And um, uh, we know what impure thoughts are, don't we? And the, uh, that's certainly part of what is meant uh, Jesus is, is addressing um, wholehearted purity before the Lord, but, but it's only one aspect of it. I think um, the best way to understand this is to, if you look at the, the word uh, for pure uh, in, the, in your dictionary, there's two different descriptions, two different nuances of the word pure. One, um, one nuance is uh, something that, that is a homogenous, something that's not mixed. So if you have pure gold, you have gold and just gold. There's nothing else mixed in with it. It's pure in that sense. Another nuance of the word is something that has been cleaned. So it's free of dirt, free of defilement. If you have pure water, uh, you have water that, that does not have any, any pollution in it. Both of these meanings, I believe, are helpful to understand what Jesus has in mind when he says, blessed are the pure in heart. Um, when, when Jesus speaks of that inner self that is pure, that needs to be pure, um, he's talking about a clean, undefiled, unstained heart, the way it's supposed to be, the way Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden. Uh, the, uh, we like pure things, don't we? we? We like pure air. We like pure water. Uh, God delights in a pure heart. Someone who is morally clean in their inner self and undefiled. In fact, uh, Psalm 24 says, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in the holy place? And the answer is, he that has clean hands and a pure heart. 
That's the person that might enter in the presence of God because that person is holy. Uh, well, in a world that is very comfortable with impurity, in fact, delights in impurity, God reminds us that only those who are pure in heart will stand in His holy place. And, and this is not the external um, cleanliness of the Pharisees, right? Jesus uh, denounced them. Uh, you are like whitewashed sepulchers. You're, you're clean on the outside, but on the inside, you're full of dead men's bones. You wash the outside of the cup, but the inside is filthy. And Christ um, rebuked them for their, their rank hypocrisy in this. Um, blessed are the, the pure in heart. If, if you think about what that would look like in your life, uh, boys and girls, the heart uh, is not just the part of you that has emotions, so your heart isn't just what's, what uh, you're happy or you're sad. Uh, in the Bible, the heart is the source of really everything that makes you you. So um, the, your motives come from your heart. Your choices come from your heart. We usually think that our choices come from our mind, that we um, look carefully at the options, we, we reason through what will be preferable, and then we make the choice according to our mind. Well, the Bible says that's not true. Uh, your choices are rooted in your heart. They're rooted in your desires, not your decisions. You decide what you decide because of an underlying desire. So your thoughts come from your heart, your motives, your, your, your emotions as well, but your decisions. The heart is where all the action is in that sense. And this is where we need the transformation. Uh, no amount of external cleanliness right, is going gonna, is gonna to be able to, or is going to be sufficient to give us pure hearts. Terry Johnson, in his commentary, says, churches all over this land are filled with people who pretend to be Christians and who do all the right things, but they're self-deceived. Uh, go to church, though they may, their hearts are filled with anger and bitterness and envy and pride and lust and judgmentalism and so on. These are sins of the heart. Uh, so when Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart. Um, he's talking about blessed are the people who, down where the action is, think and feel and desire and will the things that are in accord with the nature and will of God. So their motives are pure. Their desires are pure. Uh, they think God-honoring thoughts and desire only God-honoring things and choose um, the, the, the things that delight the heart of God. That's a pure heart. Think again, Adam and Eve in the garden. Well, you think, well, that's an impossibly high standard. And of course, it is. And yet it is what God delights in and what God blesses and what we owe him. Well, um, Jesus, when he's speaking about a purity in heart, he's, he's talking about that immoral cleanliness, but he's also talking about this homogeneity, this, this unmixed, undiluted, um, a, a heart that is fixed on one thing. Uh, it, it, it's a heart that's not conflicted. So James will say in James 4, verse 8, wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded that's exactly what James is after. An impure heart is a double-minded heart. 
Someone that says that they love God, and in some sense they do, and yet they love a thousand other things that are contrary to God. This is a, a double-minded person, is like a man who has a wife and a girlfriend. Or um, um, a man, maybe you could say, who's married to his job. He loves his wife in truth, but, but because he also loves his job and, and um, devotes himself to that in a way that he neglects his wife, he's a double-minded man. He doesn't have one compelling desire to bless and nurture her. Jesus is calling us uh, to have this one compelling, ordering desire. That would desire would be found in, uh, if you think about the first and great commandment that Jesus spoke of. The first and great commandment is what? Love the Lord, your God, with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. So the compelling passion is God. It's a love for God and every aspect of our, of our uh, mind and our heart and our soul and strength, all of it is, uh, is unified in this one thing. I want to love God. I want to know God. I want to bless God. I want you to just think about the misery that we bring into our lives because of our double-mindedness, because we want this and we want that and we want that. We lack this single ordering purpose or passion. One of the things that, um, that is true about me and uh, is frustrating to my wife oftentimes is that I don't, um, I'm tortured by insignificant choices. So if, uh, if we're going to go uh, out to eat some night, then um, she'll say, what do you want? I have no idea what I want. There's American, there's, there's Italian, uh, there's um, uh, Mexican, Chinese, Mongolian, right? I mean, you pick it, Lebanese, and it's okay. I mean, they're all, but without a hunger, you see, for a specific thing, I, I could spend a half hour easily just, um, you know, Google Maps. Well, there's this, and then I'll look at the reviews, and then there's that, look at the reviews. Um, it, it all sounds bland. It's okay. I don't have an ordering desire. But if I have an ordering desire, it changes everything. If she says, what sounds good tonight? And I say, for Kano's pizza. Okay? It, it's settled. It's such a more satisfying experience. I know where we're going to go. I know very likely where I'm going to park. Uh, I have a good idea of where we're going to sit right by the window there. Uh, we're gonna, the lady's going to come up. I'm going to say, please give me an all-day IPA. And she's going to bring that. And my wife's going to order the pizza because she likes it her special way. And we're going to divide that. It's going to be fantastic. I know what it's going to taste like already. It changes the entire experience. Just because I know what I want. I know what I desire. Well, think about how much misery we bring into our life. Or let me say it this way. Think of how helpful it would be if your life had that same ordering passion. How much misery don't we bring into our life because we're double-minded? We, we do love the Lord and we want to serve the Lord, but we also love other things. We love ourselves, and we like to serve ourselves, and we want to... Um, we want people's approval. We, we like gaining reputation or earning respect or, or having a comfort and ease and pleasure and, and thousands of different things, you see? Do you ever have the experience where you, you just sense deeply your heart wants this and you know God doesn't want you to have this or at least you sense it doesn't fit really well 
with who God is and what I believe. Maybe it's just a movie. You really would like to see a movie, but you've heard that there's some sketchy scenes, some awful language, but it sounds like a great movie. And yet here you want this, and, it, and, and you want to honor the Lord, and, and, and you're tortured by that. Well, blessed are the pure in heart. I think you just sense already that that sounds like a good way to live. One ordering passion for God. Well, how does that happen? How do you get one great organizing desire? Well, that's the story of Matthew 13. That's the point of the parables, the creation of a pure heart. So Jesus tells the story, this first story of a man finds a treasure buried in a field. Uh, Jewish people often did bury their treasure, actually, the, the family uh, values. Uh, if an invading uh, army was coming through or some danger of some sort or they just had to leave for a while, they would uh, find a spot that was uh, secluded and they would uh, dig a hole and they would uh, wrap their things up safely and bury it. Well, um, from time to time, th- th- those treasures would get left behind. The people would never return. You think about the, maybe the captivity and people are brought into captivity and they, they never come back. And from time to time, people would stumble upon these hidden treasures, sort of a Jewish uh, version of the lottery. Uh, I'm sure little boys dreamed about going out, right, and discovering some great treasure. Well, this happened, Jesus says to this man. He's out plowing in the field, and, he, and the, the plow hits something, doesn't quite sound like a rock. Uh, he digs it up, and it's a magnificent treasure, in the second story, a man has been uh, looking for fine pearls his whole life, and, and he finds one pearl, one perfect, beautiful pearl, and as soon as he lays his eyes on it, he must have it. Now, notice in both cases, this wonderful, compelling, organizing desire, notice what happened. Jesus says both of these men sold everything they had in order to purchase the newly discovered treasure. So they sold all of their possessions. They sold things that if you had asked to buy that morning, they would have refused to sell it to you, no matter what you promised to pay them. They would have said, this, is, well, this, is, this has been in the family for centuries. You can't sell that. Or this is this, this new thing I, I, I bought and I, and I really need. We're not selling that. But, but Jesus says they sold all of it. If, if they had been lost in a fire or, or someone had stolen, they would have been devastated. Now they happily sell it. Joyfully sell everything. It all goes on Craigslist. Why? Because they have discovered a greater treasure. And they believe that what they have discovered is more valuable and more precious. And compared to the inestimable value of that treasure, nothing else is worth keeping. You can see the compelling power of discovering this spiritual treasure. I mentioned a few weeks ago that they... um, a sermon by Thomas Chalmers on the expulsive power of a new affection. And he just makes the point that, that uh, we, we will let go of sins when we find something that we value more deeply. Well, Jesus says uh, the power that's able to rid our hearts of these conflicting desires and wants, the thing that's able to unify it is if we have a treasure, a great unifying treasure. What's the treasure that Jesus shows us in Matthew chapter 5? 
They shall see God. They shall see God. That's, that's the treasure. I mean, let me just quickly ask you, is that, a, is that, is that compelling to you? Or are you like, man, I know I'm, sp- I'm supposed to be happy about that. I know I am, but um, I was hoping for perfect marriage, a great marriage. I was hoping for health. I was hoping for my dream job. Jesus is calling to, to people in the same world that we live in, different time, but, but, but exactly the same people, sorts of people, struggle with the same idols. And Jesus, in, in just this brilliant stroke, lays in front of us the single greatest treasure of all eternity. The thing that you were actually created for. To see God. And not just to catch a glimpse of God, but to but just be in the, in the presence of God. To bask in, in, the, in, the, in the glory and the blessedness of God. This, this is what, when people come spiritually awake, they, they sense, this is what I need. This is what I was made for. This is the treasure that I seek. So David, in Psalm 27, one thing I ask, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. My heart says, seek his face. So my heart says, your face, Lord, I will seek. That's a pure heart. One thing I desire, one thing I seek, one thing I ask for, I want to see God. I want to see God. That's the core treasure of the universe. Augustine once said, if, if, imagine that God promised you everything you had ever wanted in this life, but you just couldn't see God. Would you take it? <clears throat> and of course, not if you thought about it. Of course not. Everything without God is just hell. It's the definition of hell. So how do we see God? How do we lay our hands on this treasure in a way that it purifies us and and, and brings our our, uh, double-mindedness into one homogenous, unified hunger for God? How does that happen? Well, it happens through Jesus. God has revealed himself in Christ. We know God in Jesus. The only God we know is the God who's revealed himself in his son, Jesus Christ. That in, in Christ, we see the glory of God. And that's, <clears throat> that's why when Paul talks about, um, and the, the other apostles as well, but when, but when Paul talks about Christian living, um, he, he's, he's always talking about Christ. Just uh, uh, something to, for you to think about doing. If you have a, a half hour, you can, you can quickly move through Paul's letters, most of them in, in about a half hour, just, just scanning the pages, looking for the words Jesus or Christ. You will be amazed at how constantly Paul is talking about Jesus, Jesus Christ, Christ my Lord. It's all over the place. It's, it's how Paul thinks about life. Philippians, Philippians 3.8, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. That's the treasure. 
And everything else is lost. His, his health is being battered. He's, his reputation is taking a hit as he's, as he's leading churches, but people are rising up against him. He, he, but, but he says he even counts his, his former righteousness, everything. Everything is lost compared to or because of the all-surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. This is why when we gather together on Sundays, this is why when you gather around your table and you open your Bible, look for Jesus. Look for Jesus. Who is he? What has he done? What does he say? You can look for Jesus all through the Bible. But seeing Jesus, what he's done, what he's like, what he says, what he promises, what he threatens and warns, seeing Jesus will have the, the, the effect of organizing, by the power of the Holy Spirit, your desires, and you will find increasingly your desires for this and that and the next thing are slowly dying, and more and more, Jesus is becoming what it's all about. Now, that won't be finished until you see him face to face. But remember what the Bible says. When that happens, we shall be like him, for we shall see him face to face. The experience of seeing finally and fully Jesus face to face, at that moment, you will have one passion. Every other passion will be gone. And that's blessing. There's not a a greater blessing than to be in the presence of Jesus Christ and find your heart in complete accord with him and with his. Can you imagine what that will be like? So that you not only see the glory of Jesus Christ, but every desire, every motive, every thought, every longing that's within you is in complete accord with him. You are perfectly attuned with Jesus Christ the Son of God, the Lord who loved you, the ruler of the universe, the lover of your soul. Jesus, you see, friends, is calling us to that life, that reality. To remember that life, the Christian life, is is a Christ life. It's living in Christ. And remembering then as well, see, we remember the gospel. We remember that who shall stand in, uh, in the presence of the Lord? Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and stand in his holy place? He that has clean hands and a pure heart. Well, that's Jesus, isn't it? And yet in Jesus Christ and by his accomplishment on the cross, as he imputes his, his righteousness to us, we stand in the presence of the Lord. We're the, we're the ones who've been washed as we saw this morning. We've been made pure by the work of Jesus Christ. And now as we focus on him, increasingly that work continues on. And so friends, um, I just pray that you'd hear Christ tonight. I'd like you to just think about your life. Think about how scattered your desires are. Recognize that this is part of the sanctification process. Don't despair. But recognize that God is at work to bring one glorious unity into your life. And his name is Jesus. God is is working so that Christ increasingly becomes to you the treasure in the field, the pearl of great price. And you're willing 
You're even not just willing, you're happy, joyfully to count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ your Lord. And one day in the confidence, you see that one day we're going to see him. We're going to see God in all his perfection in the face of Jesus Christ and be like him. That's blessedness. Let's ask God to do that work in our life. Oh God in heaven, we are scattered people in our, in our affections, in our longings. But Jesus, I thank you that you call us uh, tonight to this one holy passion filling all our frame. I pray, Lord, that you would take this word and may it not just be things that we hear, but things that we experience. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would reveal yourself to us through your word, by your spirit. That as we open our Bibles, we would, we would hear you speak to us. As we pray, we'd have the confidence that you hear our prayers. Oh, Lord Jesus, I pray that, that the more you show yourself to us, I pray that our hearts would experience that wonderful sanctifying work of, of the Spirit where, where Jesus becomes more and more of our treasure and our joy. And we're finding that it's just ridding us of our taste for sin. And now, Lord, I thank you that as we walk this journey together, uh, Lord Jesus, I thank you that you're the one who holds us up and you're the one who one day promises uh, to bring us to yourself where we will see you face to face. Uh, Jesus, thank you that you are the treasure. I pray that we would find you to be so in, in this life and then in all glory in the life to come. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're going to close with a little song that the boys and girls know well, Purify My Heart. This is just a prayer. It's not a bombastic song. It's a, it's a prayer. And I just encourage you as you sing to pray. Ask God to do this. This is pleasing. This is according to his will. Let's pray it together. Would you stand with me?